In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, please be seated. There's a cardinal rule in preaching uh, that one is never to ignore the elephant in the room. (laughs) That is to say, if something major has just happened in the world, or in the community, or in the life of a parish... Uh, the wise preacher will address it. Uh, She will listen and pray and try to help a parish understand where God is in a particular event or occasion. This leads to a challenge for me today. (laughs) Since this is the day of our annual meeting as a parish, and we like to understand our one worship service together, combining our three in one as the first part of the meeting, I had planned and hoped to offer in the place of the sermon my annual report to you. And yet this has been an unusual week. As a new president has been inaugurated, the fears of many of us have only increased. I realize there may be a few who are cautiously optimistic by perhaps new economic opportunities or the whole hand grenade approach to governing, but most I've spoken with are increasingly anxious. And then yesterday brought different emotions. The Women's March here and around the world brought new energy and community. A number from our parish sought to join the crowd here and elsewhere, reminding the new administration and Congress about some of the values most important to women, but also about basic human rights and, I would add, gospel values. And so wherever you may be in the political or cultural spectrum, chances are this week has been challenging. And so where is God in all of this? And what might it possibly have to do with a parish meeting? Well, I want to begin trying to answer those questions by quoting a passage from a book that I keep revisiting. Um, The book was first published in 1981, but it's, uh, it's strangely relevant to our day, I think. It's called After Virtue, and it's by a Scottish moral philosopher named Alistair McIntyre. Even though the book is pretty dense for me, it's, it's slow going to read it. There's a classic section at the end that helps us think about what God might be doing in our day and where God might be calling us. By the way, I forgot to mention all of this report sermon thing is written down and will be available uh, at the annual meeting later. Alistair McIntyre writes, For some time now, we have reached a turning point. What matters at this stage is the construction of local forms of community within which civility and the intellectual and moral life can be sustained through these new dark ages which are already upon us. And if the tradition of the virtues was able to survive the horrors of the last dark ages, we are not entirely without grounds for hope. This time, however, the barbarians are not waiting beyond the frontiers. They have already been governing us for quite some time. And it is our lack of consciousness of this that constitutes part of our predicament. 
He concludes, we are waiting not for Godot, but for another doubtless very different St. Benedict. Now, what McIntyre is referring to, of course, is this idea generally accepted that St. Benedict in the late 6th century and the Benedictine traditions that came out of his work and life, the founding of Western monasticism, basically saved civilization, especially through the rough times of barbarians and marauders, extreme violence and warfare that ruled the day. The monks preserved and taught agriculture, animal husbandry, beekeeping, metallurgy. Perhaps more than anything, the Benedictine monks and nuns copied manuscripts, kept them safely in libraries, and furthered the development of the arts, of literature, and music. McIntyre's assessment of our time as a new dark ages I think, is characterized partly by a a kind of arbitrary understanding of truth, uh, this culturally accepted myth that the individual is the center of the universe, violence at home and abroad, and then once again the cyclical discussion in our country of cutting programs in education and culture. We're waiting for a new Benedict, McIntyre says, But it will be different from the last. This new Benedict, God's method of salvation in our time, McIntyre suggests, will exist in local forms of community within which civility and the intellectual and moral life can be sustained. And this brings us to the Church of the Holy Trinity, what we've been doing and what I think God would call us to do in the future. Yes, the world is changing around us. The demographics work against a typical Episcopal church, and we are no different. We have no idea what will come. We have no idea what the new subway and continued gentrification in Yorkville will mean. Uh, We have no idea what it means that cultural patterns continue to lead people to understand themselves as spiritual but not religious as though the two can be separated, but that's another sermon I can get into for another day. And yet, here we are, the Church of the Holy Trinity. We've been living and working and praying as a Christian community rooted in this place for 118 years. And especially in the last year, my first full year with you as your rector, We've worked hard at building community, at taking stock, at growing in God, and at saying our prayers while inviting others in. We're building a good foundation for the future, and I think we will get through the new dark ages together with a faith rooted in Jesus Christ. We've been building community. Much of my first year among you has been spent trying to get to know you, trying to figure out um, who is in the community and who's lurking around the edge and who wants to be more deeply involved. A lot of this has been through intensifying efforts at working on our church database and keeping records and contacts and doing what the restaurateur Danny Meyer calls collecting and connecting the dots. It's all to strengthen relationships, and we're working at it. Part of this is communication. We've, we've used more signs, more postcards, more postings on social media. 
Beginning with the first Sunday in Lent of 2016, we began a weekly newsletter and insert, which is in your bulletin today, called The News from 316. The title refers to our building address, but also John 316, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. It's why we're here. It's what we're doing. Most weeks I write something as a sort of cover article about our worship, about a saint's day, about something going on in our parish, and we send it out by email every Thursday. And I'm fully aware our current process is clunky. It's a pain to open. Some people can't open it still after a year. We're going to change that, but it takes a little bit to get it changed. I'm grateful to those of you who actually read it. And some of you travel and aren't here every Sunday, but you you tell me through email and through conversation that you're keeping up with all the gossip that's fit to print. And so I'm grateful for it because it's an enormous way we can keep praying for each other and keep building community in this place. We need to do more, absolutely. And if you have ideas or talents in social media and can volunteer, please let me know. I've tried to help in building community through the programs offered by Holy Trinity Neighborhood Center and my work with them, especially showing up for the Thursday senior lunches and volunteering in the men's shelter. I don't get to the Saturday dinner as often as I would like, but try to encourage that as well around the edges. While I'm officially the chair of the Triangle Theater and HTNC, I also try my best to add energy and leadership and vision These are enormous mission arms and potential for our church. Since the opening of St. Christopher's House in 1897, mission has been the heart of this parish. It will be the heart of our future. We continue to do all we can with our partners who work in and around the building, health advocates for older people, search and care, the Mary Cat School, everybody who's around. And through all of those programs of the church, official and other organizations around us, we reach and serve and befriend several hundred people every week. That's no small thing. Since moving into the rectory, Irwin and I have, lived, have loved living there. We enjoy the many receptions and meetings and fundraisers and parties and events that we host, and we'll keep doing that in the future, all to build community. Many in our community outside these walls feel connected to the parish, and there are numerous ways that we have done that. In the past, the annual Mayfair has been a big part of this. It was last year. This year, I'm encouraging folks to really think and pray about how we use our energy and resources to show off our church, to get people in, to sample a bit of our personality, but to do so within the means of our capacity, within the means of our time, talent, and treasure. We've been taking stock this year. A lot of my time has been involved in what I call taking stock I've continued to learn about the building and its needs and have spent much more time than I ever hoped or imagined navigating things like lapsed inspections, expired certificates, and unaddressed violations with the city of New York. We've caught up with some of those and we've paid some hefty fines and we'll be doing more in 2017. 
We continue to be hopeful for a creative arrangement with the new owner of the Rhinelander building next door. Um, the arrangement would mean, and so far is still on track, would mean that we lose nothing but share our zoning. And because the rectory and the church are separately zoned, then good will only come to the rectory. But it means that the new owners of the Rhinelander building may contribute toward rectory work on gutters and flashing and pointing uh, work that is sorely needed to keep water out. And so we're continuing to look at that. We're also slowly looking, and I say slowly and carefully because we want to get it right, looking at some procedures and structures to get in, in line and on paper our, our work for the coming years around renovation and repair and renewal in various parts of the building. We want to do it right, and I'm not going anywhere, so we have some time to get it right. Some of this taking stock includes our numbers. Holy Trinity had not had a financial audit since 2010. We began one last fall and we'll be completing it soon. As you'd imagine, it's taken some effort to try to find numbers and put them in the right spots. And a part of that has been to develop or make sure we get leases for every person or group who rents space in our building. Um, This is new, but some of the leases are outdated, but we'll be addressing those. While the seven apartments that we have are currently all leased and provide a steady income, renting to other church employees around the diocese, thereby effectively subsidizing the salaries of other churches' clergy, is not, in my mind, faithful stewardship for the long run. This year we began to develop a plan for addressing some of the issues around cleaning and repair and maintenance, And then just as we were about to do something, we realized that our bookkeeping system needed more attention and cleanup than we thought. And so we parted ways with our part-time bookkeeper, and we hired a new excellent bookkeeping consultant who is cleaning things up, bringing our various bookkeeping systems into alignment, and helping us to hire a new basic part-time bookkeeper who will be able to maintain records and run the business side of our ministries. Maria Rainwright, our bookkeeping consultant, has done this in numerous churches around the diocese. She will train the new bookkeeper and then be on call to help us with that person in the future. I apologize to anyone who has contributed in 2016 and has not gotten a timely financial statement or gotten answers to your questions when you call. That's inexcusable for a church, and it's not going to happen in the future. I'm grateful to the leadership of the Budget and Finance Committee, our volunteer treasurer, Gus, and our Buildings and Grounds Committee, our Finance Committee, the Vestry, all of the volunteers who so generously give their time and talent. Even though many of those people, you people, are the busiest in the world, you continue to carve out time for being here and helping, especially as we've gone through three bookkeepers in the last year and a half. Erlinda Brent has provided consistency and care in that area, as she has in so many other areas. She continues to do the work of three or four people, and I'm grateful for all that she does. An enormous part of our taking stock has only just begun, and that involves our making new friends in the neighborhood and city, exploring contacts, and really looking and praying about our use of our buildings. What spaces do we insist on using for our ministry and programs? Which spaces might we share more creatively? 
And are there spaces we could lease or invite a new partner to develop? In the coming year, I'll be developing a small task force to look at some of these questions with me, and I welcome your prayers and ideas about how we can be more faithful stewards in the future. We've been growing in God. Last summer, we offered monthly Christian education classes called Prayer and Pie, basically to help people know we're still functioning as a church, even though it's summer. Each time, we had 20 to 30 people joining us. In the fall, Lindsay Mullinax and Don Prasad offered Christian Ed again for children on Sunday mornings in the Cloister Chapel. And we've also renewed regular Sunday morning adult Christian formation. And this was made possible by shifting our 1030 service to 11, and I'm grateful to you for your flexibility in doing that. Our topics in adult Christian education last year included a Bible study of the gospel, looking at the lives of St. Francis and St. Clare, a four-week course on what it means to be an Episcopalian, a three-week discussion of the book The New Jim Crow, and an Advent series on canticles. I know Sunday morning is hard for many of you to make a time of Christian education. If you can think of a better time, tell me. But I think given everybody's schedules, we simply have to carve out a place and do it. I will also say, uh, I've not written this part down, but I would say that for a church with a lot of volunteers and a lot of busy people and only one priest, our offerings in Christian formation are equal to, if not beyond, many of the other churches in this city who have multiple staffs and lots of people available. And so if you can help us leverage our resources better, please do. But we've got some good things going on here, and I hope you'll support them. Last year, we also renewed Holy Trinity's tradition of seasonal quiet days or mini-retreats. We did one in Lent, and in Advent, we teamed up with the Church of the Epiphany to offer a day on Hildegard of Bingen. We've been saying our prayers. That's what a church does. Worship is at the heart of what we do. Monday through Thursday of each week, we offer morning prayer, and we've built a small and faithful community. Um, One morning, a woman attended. We didn't know her. It turns out she was visiting from Connecticut because her husband was beginning chemotherapy at Sloan Kettering. She immediately met another participant who does come to our weekly morning prayer. They became friends. She became friends with another one. They all email and pray with each other. We continue to form a community, very simply, out of our weekday morning prayer. We added last fall a new service, midweek, evening prayer on Wednesdays, followed by a Eucharist with particular prayers for healing. Again, we've developed a small but faithful community, and we look forward to growing this in the spring, especially as the light allows more to be out in the evening. I feel like the luckiest priest in Christendom with the musicians. Um, I wake up almost every day and certainly every Sunday giving thanks for Cleveland Kirsch and Calvin Dutois, our professional choir members, our volunteer choir members, our volunteer musicians. Um, Again, I know the music in this city. I've worked at other churches here. What we have and offer is equal to, if not beyond, all of them. Our program at 11 and 6 is one of the best-kept secrets in New York. I want to change that. And I need your help in doing it. Worship is a joy, and Holy Trinity offers different things in each of our services. We continue to try to nurture people into the beauty of holiness, and that's a growing edge for all of us. 
Of course, worship doesn't just happen by opening the building. It's made possible by a small army of of ushers and altar guild members and lectors and acolytes and everyone in between and around the edges. And that is uh, is led by a group of fantastic people who keep rotas and schedules and nag us with emails. And so thanks to you all for all that you do. In today's gospel, Jesus calls Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and he says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. We, too, are called to fish for people. We're called to use whatever skills or abilities or gifts we might have in order to help others know the love of God through Jesus Christ. That can look different for each one of us. We might be called to teach for people, to cook for people, to build for people, to listen for people. We might be called to network or raise money or teach or repair. Whatever it is we may be called to do. In meeting Christ, in meeting one another, we have the potential to expand our ministry and mission. There's a wonderful old preacher's story about the devil who gets his generals together and they try to figure out how they can mount a new and decisive battle against Christians. They want to weaken and kill the church. And so the generals put on their best thinking caps and they have this meeting and the first one raises his hand and he says, I have an idea. What if we try to convince them that there really is no God? No, the devil says that'll never work. Too many Christians already know there is a God. They have a strong sense of God. You need to come up with something better. The next general puts his hand up and says, I've got it. Let's convince them that there really is no difference between good and evil, between right and wrong. Again, the devil shakes his head and he says, no, too many Christians already have a strong ethical sense, a a moral compass. That won't work. We need something else. Finally, a third general steps forward and says, I've got another idea. It's a little crazy. It's a little subtle. But I'm wondering if we can continue Christians to believe in God, continue to encourage Christians to keep on distinguishing between good and evil, But we simply suggest to them that there's no hurry in any of this. There's no need to rush, no need to worry, no sense of urgency. I think we can look at a lot of the Christian church and ask ourselves if something like that last plan has actually been pretty effective. I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that something similar went on with the last presidential election. For us to realize that apathy and indifference and the belief that somebody else will do it take their toll. There's an urgency to our being the church, being the church right here to fish for people, to welcome and embrace and love, not because of financial commitments or volunteer demands of the parish. Of course, we have both of those and probably always will, but because people need Jesus Christ. We need each other as a new kind of Christian community in order to navigate the days ahead. 
Too many people out there are living in spiritual dark ages and don't even realize it. They just keep searching in circles, going through people, going through religious communities, going through jobs or experiences or alcohol or drugs, you name it. They don't have to worry about a physical, fiery hell in the afterlife. They're already living in one. We offer something else. We offer an alternative. We offer community and home. We offer beauty and holiness. We offer the body and blood of Christ to sustain us in this life and to empower us for the next. I can't thank you all for all that you do and have done and for all that you are. I thank you for helping me and all of us to make 2016 such a bright year, for the privilege and joy of serving as your rector, your friend, and your priest. May God bless us with light in the darkness. May God bless us in the abiding, life-giving presence of Christ in this new year and always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.